Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, The Songs of Ascent. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Psalm 123, we had the privilege of singing it from the Psalter earlier in the service, so now hear the reading of God's holy word. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, So our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Living God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand and that understanding we may believe and in believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and your glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In Christ, we are promised many things, such as, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that. By God's grace, through faith, we who are in Christ are then for Christ treated with contempt and scornfulness for our faithfulness to Him. For the Christian, persecution is not the consequence of a lack of faith. It's evidence of it. The Christian life then, we can think of it as counterintuitive. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean just a a few key words there that are so counterintuitive. Blessed are you. Rejoice. Be glad. Let that sink in. Now. To be clear, before I proceed, we need to make a distinction here. As much for me as for you. Jesus, and what I have quoted to you, is not justifying strife for stupidity. (laughs) If you encounter problems for fanning the flame of your sinful flesh, that ain't persecution. That's called justice, right? No, Jesus describes persecution 
as related specifically to Him, as related specifically to His righteousness, not our sinful flesh. Christian persecution, I like to say, is guilt by association. We are considered guilty because we are in Christ, because we live for Christ. Or here's the way the Apostle Paul puts it oh so plainly. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pretty clear, right? Now, persecution comes in different ways, and we need to remember this. Different ways, different forms that have varied throughout history. But what doesn't vary is the likelihood of persecution. Now, we often think of persecution in its worst form. Violent persecution, even death. And and there's certainly biblical and historical warrant for this perspective. I mean, you only need to think about the prophets and the apostles. You think about church history and the early Christians and even the martyrs of our own day. Since Cain and Abel, the faithless have persecuted the faithful. There is indeed nothing new under the sun. But there are other forms of persecution, perhaps more subtle, nonviolent, yet demeaning. The contempt of a loved one, the scorn of a neighbor. Sometimes it can feel, sometimes it can just feel like the world is out to get us. And we reach a point where we just want to cry out to God. We have had more than enough of contempt. We've had enough of scorn. And maybe you've prayed that prayer before. Maybe you're praying that prayer this morning. What do we do? How do we respond when it seems like the world is against us? Well, The psalmist tells us, First, look up. Look up. Jesus said, the eye, or rather, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, as the eye is a metaphor for our inner man and what our inner man looks to, in other words, what we focus on, what we fix our eyes upon, This is a big deal, isn't it? It significantly affects us. The eye of the soul both perceives and projects. This is why our inner life is so important. It's so important what we look to, what we look up to. Keep your heart with all vigilance, the sage said. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. And so the psalmist begins this psalm. To you, I lift up my eyes. To you, I lift up my eyes. It's a a declaration of faith. It's a declaration of dependence. It's a declaration of trust. He is fixing his eyes, the eyes of his soul, upon his Savior. And for good reason, too. Look at the text with me. He lifts up his eyes to whom? He who is enthroned in the heavens. If the eye is the lamp of the whole body, then let it be lighted by the glory and grandeur 
of God. If the eye is the lamp of the whole body, let it be lighted by the glory and grandeur of God. The psalmist lifts his eyes from the kingdom of earth to the kingdom of heaven, fixing his gaze upon the maker of heaven and earth. How powerful is this imagery that he gives us? In the very first verse, how powerful is this imagery that he gives us? Well, think about the life of Isaiah. The imagery was so powerful, the vision that was given to Isaiah was so powerful, it literally changed his life. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in that moment, Isaiah was humbled. In that moment, Isaiah was convicted. He was miraculously forgiven, justified, and commissioned as well. But the point that I'm conveying here is that in that vision, Isaiah was empowered to go to a people who were contemptuous and scornful. Or consider the example of John. Very similar. When the Apostle John witnessed the one enthroned in the heavens, he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. From the throne came flashes of light and rumblings and peals of thunder. And among those surrounding the throne, John saw four living creatures, each of them with six wings, who never ceased to cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so what Isaiah saw and what John saw, let's be clear, was extraordinary. Let's also be clear. It was miraculous. But the substance, the substance of what the prophet and apostle saw is no less than what the psalmist sees and directs our attention to. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes, not to the starry limits of creation, but to the one who is enthroned in the heavens. The one who is sovereign over all creation. The psalmist's perspective teaches us, teaches us not to let the contempt and scorn of the world cause us to look down and so stoop down. To their level. We can spend so much time looking at the world and its problems that it can affect the way that we see God. The problem is, as R.C. Sproul puts it, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but believe in the sovereignty of man. I think he's right. Why? Why do we give credence to the criticism of unbelievers? Why do we put so much weight in what others say about us who are in Christ? The ridicule 
and rage of the proud and arrogant is loudest in our ears when we forget the one who made their mouth. Look up to him who is enthroned, for he is exalted above all. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he has made everything for its purpose. In fact, the proverb says, he's made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Make no mistake about it. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And so let us look up and let us put our trust in him. Look up and let us put our trust in him who is enthroned in the heavens for analogy, the psalmist provides two similes. And he continues with this metaphor of the eye. The eye of the soul, or the inner man, the eye. And then look with me at verse 2. Behold, as the eyes... So we see the tie-in again of the metaphor of the eyes. The eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master. As the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. The two similes are in essence the same, aren't they? Those who serve look to those whom they serve, to the hand, as the psalmist puts it, the provision. The poetic presumption is that servants and maidservants are loyal and obedient, serving their master and mistress as unto the Lord. And through such earthly arrangements... The Lord provides. He provides the master to the servants. He provides the mistress to her maidservant. The Lord provides through them. As this is the case, and we understand that this is normal life, and yet if God does this through the imperfect means of man, how much more is this true in the perfect provision of God? For he who is sovereign over all provides for you, provides for me. We look to his hand for all that we need. And here's the key, even the mercy that we need amidst persecution. We look to his hand for provision, even the mercy amidst persecution. The apostle Peter you may recall that according to church history, was crucified upside down. He did not consider himself worthy of the way in which his Lord died, and so he requested, according to church history, to be crucified upside down. Uh, it is not ironic then that he of the apostles has the most to say about persecution. In fact, in First Peter, he has much to say. For example, he cautions against repaying evil for evil, for reviling, for reviling. But instead, he says that we are to bless those who persecute us. Quoting Jesus, Peter says, If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And then he goes on and advises this, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. But then Peter goes on to put our persecution in perspective. Focus not on the shame of others, but focus on the perfect provision of Christ. He says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it was by the hand of God that Christ the righteous suffered for our sin. It was by the hand of God that He atoned for our sin. It is by the hand of God through whom we are counted righteous. And it was by the hand of God that Christ resurrected from the dead and through whom we have fellowship with the Father. Therefore, as we trust in the Lord's perfect provision in Christ, so we must trust Him in our union with Christ, even our suffering. Jesus said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Or think about this in a different way. The same truth, but think about it this way. We are hated because the Lord loves us and we love the Lord. We are hated because God loves us and we love God. And it is in this love that He uses what the world intends for evil, God uses for our good. Think about that. The cross of Christ, the world intended for evil, God used for our good. So also, the world intends evil against us who profess the name of Christ, even suffering in His name. And yet God uses even that persecution for our good, because we know this. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, conforming us to the image of Christ, preparing us for glory. And so, we look up to the Lord. We trust in Him. Like a servant to His master. Like a maidservant to her mistress. And we wait for the Lord's provision. We wait for the Lord's provision. There are some things that we do not understand. Some that we cannot comprehend. God's timing would be one of these things, right? Based on our human and therefore our limited experience, we expect God to act on our behalf according to our timing. Because we live in time and space, we've got expectations as I like to tell my kids, I've got a schedule. I like everything precise according to how I have planned and scheduled my day. <laughs> but it's a grave misunderstanding, isn't it? Presumptuous on our part because we cannot comprehend God's perfect timing. We don't know God's secret will. None of us do. But when things don't go our way, 
when life doesn't follow our schedule. When we become frustrated, not with ourselves, but with the Lord's provision according to our timing, it is telling. What we want is immediate relief from those people. Right? Well, the psalmist calls them those who are at ease, which is a Hebraic expression more than likely referring to those who have no fear of God. They're at ease. They just live however they want to. Or those who are proud, meaning those who are arrogant in their unbelief. Together, these people, the psalmist says, they're contemptuous. They're scornful. And they're really obnoxious too. They're often a vocal, possibly a violent minority, which can lead to a distortion of the truth for those who will lend an ear to listen. I'm reminded of one of Asaph's psalms. When he looks at those who seem to have it so easy in life, and they never suffer, they're arrogant, yet antagonistic. They're proud, yet prosperous. He says, then they speak as if they rule in heaven and lay claim to earth. They're the authority on everything. You know these people now, don't you? They deny God's sovereignty. They slander His people. And yet, they thrive. Frustrated at what he perceives as injustice and God's unwillingness to act, Asaph ponders this. And I wonder sometimes if we haven't all pondered this. He says, surely in vain I have kept my motives pure and maintained a pure lifestyle. It's as if to say, if sinners thrive, what good is there for living for the Lord? But then Asaph goes to the Lord's house. One translation, it's he goes to the sanctuary of God to worship. And in that moment, Asaph's perspective changes, as it should. He is reoriented to look up. He is redirected to trust in. He is reminded to wait for the Lord, confessing this. Psalm 73, verse 28, in case you're taking notes. But as for me... God's presence is all I need. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter as I declare all the things you have done. In his frustration, he says, this can't be right. The proud, the arrogant, they're at ease and they just seem to blossom. And I'm over here suffering Because he's got his eyes trained on the world and all of the world's problems. And that's all he hears. That's all he sees. Oh, the world's such a bad place. It's a horrible place. It's just, and I'm I'm, I'm just nuts. I'm suffering. And there's never any justice from God. And there's never any provision. And I just, I'm just ready to die. That's John's paraphrase of Psalm 73. Until he goes to the house of the Lord. And it is as if when he is gathered with the people of God, that God grabs him and says, you are looking at the wrong things, John. I mean, Asaph. You're looking at the wrong things. 
Look up to me. Trust in me. Wait for me. Gathering in worship every Lord's Day helps reorient us to an eternal perspective. Helping us to hear the word of the Lord instead of the noise of the world. And so make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. God intends good for us. I know if you look at the world long enough. If you listen to the news in your neighbor long enough, you'll lose this perspective. I promise, you'll lose it. But if you look to the Lord, you will be reminded over and over and over again, regardless of your circumstances, God intends good for you. He does not give us what, he des- what we deserve. He gives us what He desires. So when we cry out to Him like the psalmist, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. We're not asking for something that He's unwilling to give. That's how often we think, isn't it? I'm, I'm crying out to that. I just wonder if God really wants to be good to me. Stop it! He does! One pastor says, In obedience we pray mercy instead of give us what we want. We pray mercy and not reward us for our goodness so our neighbors will acknowledge our superiority. We pray mercy and not punish us for our badness so we will feel better. We pray mercy and not be nice to us because we have been such good people. (laughs) No. We pray, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us because we are His beloved whom He sent His only Son. To die for our sin. We pray have mercy on us. Oh Lord have mercy upon us. Because rather than giving us what we deserve. He has gracious compassion upon us. As a father for his child. In fact the word that's translated in this psalm. Mercy is not the typical Hebrew word translated mercy, where we get the idea of God's undeserved or unmerited favor, but rather it is a word that carries the connotation of gracious compassion to the miserable. God shows grace to the suffering. That's the idea of mercy here. Sometimes it is the grace just to get through one more day. Sometimes it is the grace to look up, to trust in, to wait for just today. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Just today. And in this daily dependence, we learn this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, the psalm ends abruptly, doesn't it? With pleas for mercy and contempt for the proud. Did you see that coming? It just ends right there, surprisingly, isn't it? And perhaps that you had hoped for a fairy tale ending. But instead of a fairy tale ending, what did we get? Ordinary life. Ordinary life. Well, such is life. Let's pray. No. 
See, I fooled you. Half of you look down. The rest are like, man, he's way too sarcastic for that. The psalmist doesn't leave us there, does he? No. Because the psalm starts with look up. You see, such is life today, but not forever. John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and they will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And gone will be the arrogant with their scorn. Gone will be the proud with their contempt. But he who is enthroned in the heavens, he who hears our cries for mercy, he who answers our prayers, he shall continue to reign over heaven and earth as he does over your life and mine in this very moment. Now let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you the story of redemption does not end with the proud and the arrogant, but that it ends with the final consummation, a new heaven and a new earth where we will live in worshipful lives together with you forever and ever. But we are not there yet. And so we ask that you would help us as we cry out to you for mercy. Oh God, hear our prayer Have compassion upon us. Help us, Lord, to look up to You. Help us, Lord, to trust in You in all things. Help us, Lord, to wait for Your perfect provision. For You have provided us perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fortsmouth, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.